Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. Thank you for the awesome music from Cactoid Labs. Welcome, everybody, to uh, the first Twitter spaces we've had in a while. We're super excited for this one because we have the fantastic William Upon, who, well, my name is Aston. My avatar's up here talking from our account. William is my favorite artist. I didn't want to speak for anyone else, but I've uh, made that very clear to anyone who listens to our content. And uh, I'm joined, we're joined today by him, which is super excited. Also joined by Jared underscore pause, the big bold squiggle avatar here, who is my co-host on the podcast. He's also starting his own uh, launch platform, the 8NAP Digital Art uh, Platform. And we have Lady Cactoid, who's part of Cactoid Labs, a fantastic curator, technologist, and uh, uh, just an awesome person who put this all together along with Cactoid Labs there technology arm that's making this happen. So really excited to have everyone here to talk about Distance, William's latest uh, release. And just maybe we could uh, start with you, William. How are you doing today? And, and thank you for joining us. Hello. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, actually. Always a pleasure. Um, how's it going? Well, uh, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, all good so far. Um, summer has been tough because you know kids and summer doesn't make a good mix. But I'm trying to recover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we know you've been working super hard. So you know, we we just really appreciate you spending the time uh, away from family and from work with us. And uh, LC, I I thought maybe I could. Uh, throw it over to you, see how you're doing. How's everything going? Sorry. <laughs> Good. Um, thanks so much, um, uh, Collector's Corner, for uh, having William and, and us speak today about this um, very important body of work that William has been um, developing for almost a year now. Um, and to give everyone a little bit of overall um, context, uh, this is volume five of the Los Angeles County Museum of Arts um, blockchain initiative called Remembrance of Things Future, where we have invited um, LACMA and Cactoid Labs, working with LACMA's Art and Technology Lab, have invited artists working um uh, digitally to respond to works in the museum's permanent collection. So these dialogues have taken different um, shapes and directions with different artists, um, ranging from IX Shells to Deaf Beef. And we have been with William looking at a very important early watercolor by Paul Clay. Um, Paul Clay was uh, a, a German-born um, but Swiss-based modernist who is well-known as well for having taught at the um, esteemed art and design school, the Bauhaus. Um, so Paul Clay made a watercolor that William was really drawn to um, in 1914 that is 
important because it marked Paul Clay's move into abstract art. So um, it's called, the work is called In the Carowin Style, Transposed in a Moderate Way. Um, and I'll be sharing um, that, that image. But it is this beautiful small watercolor that Paul Clay created actually when he was traveling um, in Tunisia, a place that he returned to actually many times after, after this first encounter. And um, it, it became kind of a new mode for working for Paul Clay. He had been making work that, you know, was figurative, looked like people and houses. And then he started to move into more geometrical um, kind of explorations. So William, um, I would love to, to maybe, you know, speak with Jared and everyone here about what initially drew you to this Paul Clay work. Um, cause we, William and I went through a lot of different possibilities in the museum's collection and his, his work has taken different kind of shifts in that, in that exploration process. So William, maybe you could talk to everyone about what first captivated you with the Paul Clay work and how you started out, you know, even earlier thinking in a, in a more uh, reduced color palette, you were working with white and grays and, and then you moved into this Paul Clay mode of really exploring all the different color ranges. Uh, yeah, I think I, I actually shared some, uh, I put some, to, uh... I wrote them white when it was all white and grays, uh, maybe last year, maybe a bit uh, past weeks. And at first, when I had this, um, like, quote unquote, uh, constraint of finding something in the LACMA collection, parent connection, um, we didn't find anything. We, <laughs> we looked for something similar I could, you know, um, by myself on for like weeks, uh, maybe months. But uh, we didn't find anything like uh, but only like sculptures or stuff like that, plaster, but it wasn't talking to me that much. So I kept digging in the infinite <laughs> like my collection. And yeah, I found, so I was looking for more abstract and geometrical at the same time um, pieces. There are not much. Um, but there's this one uh, from Paul Klee in 1914 and I immediately knew it, was, it would be this one because it could have been made by a gentle artist um, because it's like a grid with simple colors and simple shapes and this is basically what you start with when you learn, you know, creative coding slash joint your art. You start with very simple rules and the simplest rules, one of the simplest rules there is, is a grade. Uh, so yeah, I immediately thought, okay, I'm gonna go on that. And what struck me really is that all partly break broke the, the grid with colors and that's always that that's always something that fascinated me uh with Paul how he uses he uses colors so yeah it was a instant instant match 
Uh, yeah, the thing is that I didn't know it was called Lee at first because when I was looking for something in like my collection, I was only seeing the thumbnails. And I saw these thumbnails full of colors. So I click on it. I look at it deeply for a long time. And then I see Brokey and we're like, oh, okay, it makes sense actually. And yeah, it does. it's like an honor in the sense for me to communicate with this piece. So yeah, I went straight into it. So William, one of the things I've always been fascinated with with your work has been your your the brilliance with color. And and I should point out one of the, the messages that's pinned to the top is the LACMA's interview between Lady Cactoid, Elsie and William, which I think is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. It's a must read. I've read it twice uh, already. But, you know, you, you talked about your uh, almost, I'll call it obsession with, with color and how you'll take some of the core colors of RGB and mix them yourself before buying it. I think that that's like, it's an incredible concept uh, and it goes back to, to basics. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about that process and, and what's the inspiration behind that? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, the, the little story, I don't know if it's important or not, but yeah, I don't, like my, one of my daily practice is to have fun mixing colors. Um, that's how I started with, in, with painting to just start with a simple, the simplest uh, palette. So it will be one red, one blue, one yellow, and try to mix as much color as possible with these three colors. Then you had another blue, another red, another yellow to have like a cool and a warm of each color, and maybe some white to, to control the, the brightness, the value um, of the colors. And that's basically my practice with colors <laughs> it's just like a reflex for me i would say so i don't like by colors before i know how to make it more or less um that way you know, i i really feel connected with the colors you know the way i apply it on the on the canvas or the paper whatever and uh, the struggle i had to to find this color uh is very important to me because I don't. I don't say we have to struggle to to find colors, but my way to connect with the color is to find it by mixing. Um, so it's a very basic practice for painters. Um, this is quite recommended actually to not buy you know every possible color you can find in an art supply store, uh, but just just start with simple colors and build up from there. I only bring it up because I think that it's important, especially one of the things I've loved about your work is that connection to color and seeing just how primal that is to get back to basics and the connection and the struggle, the pride, the whole process is just something that's been, it was really fun to read and unearth and, and really see a little bit of insight into into your process. So I appreciate you you know, sharing that with, with the world because it, it, it helps cement why you're so good with the color yeah um i think because i have this practice it helps it also helps me to you know differentiate the different shades of the same you, you so you know there's this these games where you have to find the the, the closest color to another 
I always love these games, and it's basically this with color mixing is you have like a target to attain, and you just like okay, I need a, a bit of more red, I need I need a, more blue, I need more white, and you just navigate the color wheel like that. Uh, for me, this is fascinating to be able to mix almost every possible color you see in the world with just like six color, like three basic colors. Uh, so yeah, I try to then transpose this to to code to just find colors that way. And man, yeah, that's that's my way of working with colors. I I loved uh, hearing about that as well, and and was going to ask about it. So. Uh, I, I want to reiterate, even if you're listening to this, like definitely go back and, and read the article, the, the interview between Elsie and, and William. It's it's fantastic. Um, and I just thought it was so cool that you go through this process and the way it really helps you, uh, I guess, connect with the colors uh, that you then use in your pieces. And, and I was wondering, do you do a similar approach with a uh, computer or co- when, when you're doing it on code? You know, Have you tried using just the simple basic colors there? And building up the ones that you see, uh, and and a follow-on question to that. Sorry, I just really curious. How do you go from translating the in real life colors you're making with paint into code? Uh, the last question. How I am do it is basically I just eyeball, <laughs> I eyeball the colors, um, because if I did. Uh, color mixing to find this color, I should be able to to find it back in a way or another. And it's not about finding the perfect, you know, color by picking, you know, the picture. It's about finding the right hue and the right value to match your whole, the whole composition. So it's a pretty basic uh, concept with painting uh, the value. You have to control your values. Uh, so that's what I try to do with with my code. So before, so the the whole color gymnastic is a very new with this series. But before, I was just you know in Photoshop and trying to eyeball the closest color I had on my physical palette. Uh, that was that was before. Now it's more about have working with. Um, use saturation and value mode and not uh, RGB. So basically I will put some some values in the use, some values in the saturation, some values in the brightness and try like that to approach the color I had on the palette, which at the end I find this much more, um, how to say, um, uh, easy for me because at the end of the day, it's the same that mixing colors. You just try to find a bit of more blue, a bit of more red. Is it cooler, warmer? Uh, what's the what's the value of the color? And that way, I can. I felt with this series, I could I could easily easy, easily build color harmony within the world composition. Where before it was much more harder because I had to go to Photoshop and then okay, is this, is this color like next to this one, not too contrasty, not you know the same value. So, so it's always always hard to work like that with RGB, but with in HSV it's much more easier. And one and basically to control my value, um, 
think it's a trick I saw on YouTube somewhere or somewhere. I don't know. I don't remember, but physically, I will try to. No, I don't. I don't try. I do take a picture, and I convert it in black and white mode to just see the values. So you you just see your black and whites, and if the um, composition is too gray, it means you have a problem in your values. So you try to have a bit of contrast. Um, so that that this I transpose this in code by just doing a shader where I convert everything in black and white and see my values like that. So it's always I have two modes of working when I do it in my browser. Uh, in real time, I will toggle toggle the black and white mode to see if my values are correct all the time. Yeah, go ahead, Jerry. Well, I was going to say, you, you made reference to, you know, Aston talked about the connection of your work to, you know, going from real color to to code color. But one of the things that from the article that I like really was drawn to, and, and honestly, it made me chuckle a little bit, is, you know, and this is the quote, it says, it was very messy. My code is very messy. It's always something new that I'm looking for. And I think that that's a... You know, going back to, I wanted to pile on this and like go back and double click on it because you're, it feels like you're constantly experimenting and trying to push the, the bounds of, of code and your, your passion for the code and your, your engagement with the code. Uh, I, I almost, you know, the, the question that came to mind when I read this initially was like, how do you find that order? in all of that chaos for you. When somebody describes something as messy, it might feel chaotic, but it feels like it's like your comfort zone. And I just kind of wanted to, you know, click onto like, what is that juxtaposition and, and how does it uh, motivate you in the long run? Uh, I'm not sure I, I, I did catch the last phrase. Uh, I, you... I, I, I think he was wondering like, how you, you balance the order in the chaos, you know, those two contrasts. Uh, in in your work, ah, it's a, it's um uh, it's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically, yeah, it's a no, it's not basic. Um, but it's like an iterative, I would say, process where I always start with some kind of structure, and this work from Berkeley was perfect because it forced me to start with basic structure, which is a grid. Well, he's his grade is not super easy to do, I would say, but you can easily do something good looking like that. Uh, so it forced me to go that way with the grid. And so that was my order. And to what, what struck me with this piece is how the colors break the grids. Uh, you know, with watercolors, the water just dilutes and goes everywhere so for me that's a way to break uh, structure and i wanted to do that with my code so that's why that's where i introduced like chaos um uh, i don't even control it fully um sometimes i'm al always surprised by what the algorithm does because it's like it's kind of a simulation not really like a proper water simulation, but I made my own messy thing uh, where the um, color will diffuse 
will give you depending on the on the zone, on the kind of pattern, if the color is supposed to be dry or wet, is it supposed to be thick or transparent? Um, so that's where I can introduce some kind of curl into the grid. And that's 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 how I think we, we can see how the color just you know go overboard everywhere. And so you can feel the structure, but you can almost forget it with the colors. So that was the, that was the goal with this. That that's awesome. And there's just something really captivating about thinking about the uh, almost the struggle. Right, the struggle between balancing order and chaos, where you want uh, a little bit of each, and I'm really curious because you, you know, we we talked once on DMs about how you've been working on this uh, algorithm, the code painting algorithm. I see you you trademarked it now, which <laughs> is awesome, and this idea of replicating what you would what you do create physically in code and on on kind of a meta level the physical is always messier you know it just i I find it interesting as you're talking about uh distance and even Klee's piece how there is order from the grid but even the grids he he draws are, are not perfect they are still a little bit random and everything you know you have to really purposely infuse that randomness into anything that you're creating with code to make it look like it was, it was created by hand. And, you know, I'm just curious to hear from you as you've gone on this journey of refining this algorithm, you know, is this making you, you know, do you have more questions? Are you more interested in exploring it further? Or do you feel closer to the goal if, if there is one? Uh, because it's been really awesome for me and I'm sure a lot of people in the crowd to see you evolving this style as time has gone on. Um, well, first of all, I, I didn't trademark cut painting. I think it does for me a way to troll everyone and to say code can paint because we, we are used to say, oh, we, I made a null painting. I made uh, a null pastel painting. I made a watercolor painting, but we never, we never say I made a code painting. So like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack some people on, on this side. Can, can can I kind of work because I get some angry answers sometimes, so it means it works. But to go back to the question, um, is there a goal? I think I think the goal for me is to to be in between my physical and digital practice. Um, the goal is not to to perfectly make reproduce some paint or crayon or whatever it is, but to make more a feeling and to abstract the medium. So we don't, sometimes I feel very upset when people say, oh, null painting is superior to like a watercolor painting. Um, I don't get why there is this medium War. Um, so for me to do this is a way to abstract the medium and to just express feelings and emotion through just colors and texture. The texture is not even perfectly the same as a paper. I could I could do convincing paper, but I don't do it. I just like to evoke some kind of you know touch that you have with 
your your fingers, uh, your eyes, your your nose, you know, your, all your senses. Um, so for me, I think the there's no I don't know where the goal is yet, but I'm searching for it. It's, it's basically something in between where I try to abstract the medium and still get the emotion we get with our senses. Um, I think it doesn't have to be, you know, paint looking. It could be fully digital. I think you could do the same. Uh, it would be just harder, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's no real goal. It's just exploration of what we know from paint and my observation as well from light and colors. So William, I wanted to bring it back to, to this project, Distance, and, and again, I keep referring to the, the Lady Cactoid interview. But the, you know, in that, you you shared your connection to, obviously, the, the inner life piece at the moment, and the, the gridding nature, the, the watercolor leaking over outside that grid, almost not following the, the natures of it. And if you can't tell by the, the obnoxious background noise, I'm actually in an airport, so when I was reading this piece, it struck me that there's also a reference to like the aerial view when you're in an airplane looking out the window. Can you maybe share with the listeners some of that inspiration and tie it back to this project? Because I found it really fascinating. And for somebody who's constantly on the plane myself, you know, this was a really cool connection that I had. And I think a part of the story that I'd like to just double click on a little bit further. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so basically, I have, to, I have to stop to say basically, nothing is basic. Um, but the idea is to, like, when I saw the, the poultry piece, the poultry piece, um, after, you know, analyzing with my generative artist brain, oh, this is a great, this is blah, blah, blah. Uh, what, what is the emotion? What, 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 what does it mean for me? Uh, so I went, I went and dig a bit into the history of the piece. And so it was, uh, made while he was traveling, um, and he developed a new style and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, so this is a piece about travel. How can I connect with Perky through travel? And my way to interpret travel is through, yeah, to, to aerial view from a plane or it could be like a like a train, whatever. And I felt when I saw this piece, like you can immediately you know, step back and imagine somewhere. Um, and for me, that's a powerful, very powerful feeling to have a, to see a piece and just to be transposed somewhere else. So that's what I, I wanted to try to do in my own work. How can I make travel people? Um, with, with a piece. And on top of that, I mostly known cityscapes for like half of my life until I was 16. So I didn't really knew what was countryside until I was 17 when I moved, I moved into countryside. Um, so when I was taking the plane back then, I was like, oh, what is, you know, I could like, imagine the life of the people I was not seeing down there, I was just seeing patterns. Uh, but I didn't know what was the life there. I don't know who was making this kind of pattern so beautiful. So my imagination worked a lot. 
But once I moved, um, I started to develop a real connection with the countryside. Oh, okay. I could like, once I got my uh, driving license, I could go to, you know, the the lens and just take my uh, photograph and just take, starting to take some pictures just because it was beautiful. So I have this, this late connection with the countryside that I wanted to represent um, in the piece. So a lot, a lot of palettes are green uh, because where I was living, it was mostly green. It's like it's in the center of France and it's mostly lens. <laughs> there's nothing else. So yeah, there's these patterns that can, can, can evoke lens. And at some time I wanted to evoke cities. So there's smaller patterns and sometimes they collide uh, that represents my adaptation uh, to countryside. I was, you know, the only black guy in the countryside coming from the city, what is happening, what is this world? So I, I had a lot of adaptation to do. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to have the, all this kind of concept into one piece to have these confronting worlds. So there is, so each pattern can represent something. The tiny little squares is a, are, the, are the cities, the long rectangles are the landscapes and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, I tried to to build upon poultry pieces and build this connection with my experience on top and to make all this mix uh, that we have now. I love the, the way you integrate a lot of your personal stories and experiences into your artwork. And, and I appreciate you sharing that with everybody. You know, one of my favorites is from Dragons when we were able to talk uh, in the the palette Mario Cardi and just the story behind that. Like it, it's so brilliant the way you you weave that in to create that personal connection for, for the, the collector and admirer. So thank you. Yeah, I think it's important for an artist to convey something. Uh whether it could be political or personal or you know whatever you wanna say, I think everyone in the world has something to say. Uh Sometimes, sometimes it's dumb. Sometimes it's it's very smart. But in all cases, you have the right to to say something. So I think as as an artist, you you have to you know say something to to share because I think art is about communication and sharing. So yeah, I always try to incorporate some personal experience. Yeah, and, and actually, I remember when we were talking about Strands of Solitude before that released, and you mentioned that a lot of the, the names for the palettes were not just uh, the names, but also the way that some of the, you thought about the, the palettes and the patterns had to do with some of the emotions that you were feeling during COVID. Uh, and, and it was even called Strands of, of Solitude there, the solitary time for a lot of us. And I love how you are able to really translate your emotions, like what you're describing here, being in the countryside, like that's amazing, you know, being uh, in a different place from what you're used to feeling uh, like you uh, didn't have people who are like you around. And, and, and uh, you know, it just merely makes this, this pop out and it makes me uh, understand it a lot more. And uh, so you're doing a fabulous job of, of communicating through this art, which is, I agree, it's wonderful. And one of the other things you've been communicating, you shared a little bit earlier today on Twitter, um, uh, you said that you shared an earlier output. You said you were testing ways to break the grid and it didn't fit the concept. 
And I'd love to hear a little bit about the the progression of this project. Uh, you know, maybe what things did you discover that ended up in the final that you that kind of surprised you, or, or anything interesting really about the process that you went through um, in the early iterations of of this art itself. Um, yeah, I I mean I talked about a bit about that earlier, but. Uh, Really started with this white, you know, angular output, and even before it was, you know, the the piece I sold with twenty bit, I think, last year uh, about like the algorithmic painting uh, genesis. So it was the, the first one for me to start to experiment with this kind of feeling of 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 touch of you can touch the color, you can touch the you can you can have sensation. And so it was very abstract back then, uh, and was iterating on this algorithm for a long time. Uh, but when I saw the piece from you know Perkley, I immediately stopped doing that, and I went full back into very rigid grids. And when I once I had the basics, the foundation of my algorithm, I tried to break that grid because that was the first concept of to break to break the grid with colors. So I started to find and to build some kind of simulation with code and just you know to take a like a section of the grid and make it flow and explode explode it. And I was like, yeah, that's that's cool, but maybe too much. So it's maybe too much compared to the bulky piece. Uh, I was feeling it wasn't talking to it anymore. It, I was just making a mess. Uh, beautiful mess. It was very expressionist, but no, I had to put it on the side. And the more and more I was progressing on the piece, the more and more I understood how to break the grid. And it was not about breaking physically, not physically, not physically, because everything is like on the code, but visually not breaking the lines, but more breaking the connection between the colors and how to make a good flow between colors and how to transition them, how to you know, put, the, put them on the grid and stuff like that. So yeah, I changed a bit my mind about how to break the grid. And that, that's the result we have now. It's more about merging some, some colors and merging the, the edges and not breaking the grid. So sorry again, sorry for some of the background noise here. I've got a couple DMs and it's it's rough. So appreciate everybody bearing with me uh, as we balance life. But one of the things that you know I found really fascinating for you, William, was, and I found it really crazy, is you you stated that you start fresh with code every single time. And I've been speaking to a lot of lately. Hey, hey Jared, you, you got, cut out for about got, five seconds I got there. Hugged by a phone call, heaven forbid. <laughs> Such is life, right? The the beauties of Twitter. But one of the things that uh, I found amazing is that you you start fresh on your code with every project. Uh, and, and having talked to a lot of artists lately, you know, a lot of them have a, a set of tools that they they often go back to. So, can you you know talk? to us about maybe the mindset you have around starting fresh 
on every project. And then part two of that would be, you know, you talk about having lots and lots and lots of simple layers that go on to, to the code. You know, I'd love to understand the, the thought behind that for, for the art output also. Uh, yeah. Uh, so why do I start fresh every time? Um, I agree. It's a bit. Uh, not. It's not usual. Certainly not. Certainly. Certainly not in the, you know, coding industry and coding community. You have your starter. You have your library. You have a good set of tools to not lose time. But I like to. To wonder. Um, I, th I think you can have pretty quick results with, with code when you want to make art, uh, you know, like the basic tutorial you'll see on internet, you, in like hundreds of lines, you can have beautiful things. Um, so I think it's not that hard to start over every time. And the more, I, the more I do it, the more automatisms I develop. So it's not, it's not a pain. Uh, obviously, I still have some, you know, like maybe a couple of files, like, okay, the, the WebGL renderer, uh, the main file to init everything, the program function. Uh, maybe I have like, yeah, maybe like four or five files I, I, I reuse. It's, it's mostly for initialization of the canvas. Um, but it's always white or black, usually black with WebGL. <laughs> But um, I just like to start fresh because I'm not constrained to anything I've done before. Basically, that, that's, that's the idea be, behind. I don't want to start from another sketch. I want to start from my new idea. Uh, and don't get me wrong. Sometimes I go back in time and I continue a sketch, but I don't do it to start another one. I just continue this one. But if I was about to start a new one, uh, yeah, I just delete everything and start from scratch, import these couple of files and we are good to go. And I think it's more liberating for me to have nothing to deal with in a way. So yeah, I just like to be free on, on my canvas and not to be constrained. That, that's also why I don't like to use library. Uh, there's nothing wrong about using libraries, but I just, it's just not for me because uh, I'm mostly fighting them. <laughs> I'm like, oh, can I, can I do that? And they're like, no, you have to do this this way. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to do this way. No, so. And that's amazing. It, it definitely shows up in your work where each of the series have, you know, its own individual personality, but yet are like, there's a consistent throughput of like William and your artistic style. So I appreciate you sharing that insight because, you know, it does allow for a lot of like good diversity in your algorithms. Um, I, I think because I also come from the, you know, the advertising industry and especially the real time uh, industry. So I was making a lot of websites, like 3D crazy things in the browser. Uh, I have this, this, this um, habits, you know, uh, I'm very correct, um, connected to the video games industry in a way where I like to build pipelines to render things. And every masterpiece in video games has their own pipelines. So it's it just something I have 
done for like a lot of time, uh, like 10 years. So for me, it's just uh, yeah, a habit now to just say, okay, if I make my next thing, it has to be from scratch, um, like any masterpiece. That's awesome. I mean, every part of this conversation just is is uh, continuing to make me realize how uh, how how deep and, and thorough and, and thoughtful your process is. And uh, so it, it's really cool to see how you're bringing elements from your past, uh, you know, the video game industry into this. And I'm, I'm sure it results in a distinct artistic uh, expression, which is really, really a pleasure for all of us to, to be able to see. And speaking about seeing your artistic expression, I wanted to actually ask you a question, Elsie, uh, Lady Cactoida. I know you got a chance to see William work a little bit, and I was just wondering if you have any uh, comments on what it was like to, to see his process and, um, you know, just to, to spend time with him. Yeah, um, well, I, I am just kind of blown away by William's process. I think what um, has really become clear to me, I mean, William, you were just talking about this idea of freedom and liberation and exploration. To me, like at the essence of art is experimentation and communication. And I think one of the, the great kind of like opportunities in terms of bridging art and technology is the the unknown of what can happen when you really begin experimenting with ideas and tools and just letting letting that path take you to unexpected places i think you know william's inclination to start from scratch every time and just his love for the craft um, is something that you, you just feel so much. It's, I think, you know, if, if William were less ambitious, he could have released so many different series from the algorithms that he's been working with over the past year, but he, he was intent to like, let this, this, you know, he, he, he's also just sort of described to us, this idea of like him as a sort of astronaut exploring a system and a sort of space that he, he created and like that process of exploring being kind of at the root of the art itself. Um, one thing that I think a lot about is painting because I grew up painting and my father is a painter and I just, I love painting. I love also really love colors and mixing colors. And I think that what I think that a lot of people try to translate a painting into code. But I think what William is doing is quite different is that he really is painting with code and making the code behave in a organic and like emotional kind of feedback loop with himself and with what he is experimenting with physically, because as he has shared, he often paints with gouache or oil, um, on paper. And 
you know, it's totally magical to me. I, when I look at the textures, I mean, even last night we were looking at, at different outputs coming out of, of the generator and my kids are just blown away that it's not, that it's digital because it looks, it looks like a painting. Um, and yet you're able, I mean, I think that's one of the very incredible things about generative art is the ability to create all of these different possibilities. And because William's work is, is so deep and so compelling, you have like for every color palette, all of these, these worlds of possibilities and they're all like glorious paintings to me. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just super, um, in awe of his, his vision and, um, and talents. And also like, you know, I think the conversation between the Bauhaus and what is happening now is quite interesting because, um, Paul Clay taught at the Bauhaus. The Bauhaus was a place where people were really thinking about art and technology. Um, so yeah, I really just, um, couldn't be more excited for, all of the the outputs to to generate next week um and i you know i just yeah i think this is a very um complex body of work that we are all gonna have great um fun digging into with william especially once you know we can kind of experience the different ways that the metadata is described by him which i'm excited to see um comes come out and yeah so um thank you guys so much for for bringing all these these thoughts out um i'll let you oh, oh I, I wanted to mention another thing actually is that in conjunction with this um distance series at lacma which i have pinned to the top of my twitter um we have a series of animations that William made called compute syncing patterns, which many of you are, are familiar with and, um, are collectors of, but it's this really gorgeous blue series that is, you know, being seen by thousands and thousands of people at the museum right now. And, um, it's just a really, really beautiful way for people to experience the work physically, um, uh, at LACMA. So thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah. AD. Oh, please. Um, Go ahead, I, would, I, would, I would just mention something because um, when I say painting with code, it's not, doesn't necessarily mean, you know, schoomorphisms, something like that. Uh, I think it, for me, it means having a process to paint. Uh, what, what painting means does it just mean what like for me does it mean you have to lose yourself in the painting you control every, everything you do uh, how the brush reacts and for me because i build all these analogies of okay i'm gonna have a brush i'm gonna have some behavior being dry being um wet being transparent being opaque thick in pasto stuff like that um for me it's my way to transposing my practice into code. So for me, just like another painting, but the medium changes, but not the, not the process. That's why I call them code painting. 
but it could be anything. It could be very, you know, digital looking. It could be still a painting if the process is to paint. Uh, yeah, so that's something I wanted, I wanted to specify. No, that that's awesome. And uh, unsurprising given how thoughtful you are and, and thinking about a lot of these things on the meta level. You got to make sure to include that in the trademark application, though. <laughs> that, that, that's a trademarking a process. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. And I, I you know, um, we wanted to open it up to questions for anyone in the crowd. And uh, so please uh, go ahead and raise your hand if you have a question for William. And while folks are doing that, I wanted to also shout out that uh, collection compute that LC was talking about that's at the LACMA. In, William, I actually finally got a piece of generative art framed, and I have one of those pieces, the prints. It's the first one I've, I've put up in my office. So uh, I love Ooh. that collection. I think it's awesome. Send um, me a picture. I will. I will. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. Uh, but uh, yeah, so please, if anyone has, has questions for William, uh, this, this, this is your chance. The, the man is here. Uh, and while we're waiting, I wanted to ask you, like what? Uh, what do you? What else are you working on? What else is interesting you right now these days? Um, are you continuing to develop code painting or, or something else that's uh, um, fascinating? Yeah, this last three months, four months uh, will be very intense for me. This year is intense, uh, but the last month will be very intense because I have this this ten series. Um, so it'd be like a fireworks, you know, <laughs> everything happened at the same time. I have the verse uh, show the next month. And then I have um, a collaboration with Avant Arte, Avant Art, I never know. Um, so it's a lot. So for me, it's a bit of a fireworks, um, like the bouquet final of the fireworks, which that, that, that is 2023. Um, but that's my way to say I worked for so long, so many time, for such time, uh, here, everything I got. And I think next year I'm going to focus on not doing that much long form or anything like that, but more doing physical, maybe collaboration, uh, stuff like that. So I want, I wanted to, to finish with a. With, an, uh, with a big final, I would say. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, looking forward to it. Uh, maybe maybe you'll come out with a one of one called Fireworks, knowing, knowing you now um, <laughs> at the end of it. But uh, 2009, thanks for coming up. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Thanks. It was really, William, really interesting to hear you speak about your process and uh, the, the uh, coding process. Uh, coding art with emotion i really like that i just had a quick question and this doesn't this isn't a, a slight to anybody or any artist uh deciding to go ccco or uh, zero sorry or or royalties but i was curious your input on this i often thought that you know the the images that are generated by generative code it's always questioned to me is that the ownership the artist or is the ownership of the the machine and should that be cc0 the outputs not the coding and i'm not 
I hope I'm not offending anybody here because I know there's an immense amount of <laughs> there's immense amount of uh, effort to put into coding. I, I trust me, I know that. So I just thought I just thought I'd ask you first. I haven't asked any other uh, generative artist thought question yet. Uh, I think for generative artists, it's the the output is tightly connected to the code, mm -hmm. so. Um, I wouldn't put my stuff on CCO zero uh, for now mm -hmm. because it's something I don't know how to express it yet. I thought about it already. Um, it is an ongoing process for me to think about, but I really tight. It's really, the connection with the code and the output is so tight mm -hmm. that, like I said, you feel like it's like a part of I, your code. I, I understand. No, I mean, like, because I, I build like a universe of parameters of outputs, mm -hmm. uh, it would be weird for me to just extract one. Uh, if something has to be CCO, CCO zero, it would be the whole code and not just one output, I would say. Yes, yes. Uh, I follow that. Interesting, interesting. Anyways, thank you very much. I, I just wanted to get your input on that. Uh, but uh, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone, uh, for a great spaces. I'll step down now. Thanks. It's a cool in insight onto CCO. I, I think that, like, for generative art, at least my perspective, is that the beauty resides in the algorithm and some of the unknown uh, with exploring all the different corners of that that algorithm. That being said, it's kind of a nice transition. You know, William, is there any parts of this or any outputs that surprised you or uh, anything that uh, through those test nets that kind of made your jaw drop? Um, <clears throat> I, th I think the word thing is amazing to me. Uh, and I think this is the first algorithm I don't fully control at I think I let go a lot on this one. Um, it's hard to explain, but so far, my algorithm has been very, you know, controlled, um, like a freak. <laughs> but and and I try every time to let more and more chaos and randomness. Uh, so I let, I try to let go control basically in my, with my algorithm, and with this one because of this whole simulation thing. I don't know what happened what's happening and i went a bit further with this one where i build like components and each component have influence with the old composition so so i mean i could probably you know know what will happen if i could like list every possible possibility but it would take like uh, several years i would say uh, so yeah i i'm very surprised Every time I eat refresh, uh, it's amazing. Really. The, the feeling of being surprised by your own thing it, is amazing. Oh, man, that's, that's got me uh, super excited. I'm, I'm really curious to, to see all the, the outputs when it comes out. And I, I guess I'll, act, I'll ask a similar question, putting my collector hat on. Are there any, you know, like more like palettes where you brought some part of yourself in, whether it was like the, the sketch palette that we, you have in the anti-cyclones or the Mario Kart palette that you had in dragons, uh, any little things like that, that you can or want to share? Uh, that one, the personal palette, but I won't reveal. <laughs> I'll let you discover that. 
<laughs> okay, awesome. We'll find out. Well, uh, Amanda, thanks for coming up. Uh, please go ahead. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me up. Uh, I have a question for William, and then I also have a co-op if anyone would like that. But the question first. <laughs> Hello, William. Um, so my question for you is, with the generative art that you're creating, I guess, really, how do you select what you're going to keep? You know, generative art creates so many possibilities that I sometimes find myself, um, when I make things, <laughs> not able to let go of certain things or, or maybe feeling I might be moving too quickly and not capturing the art that I have created. So do you have any tips for that on how to capture and keep and... Um, yeah, that's an excellent question. I think that this is a struggle for every generative artist is the space is so infinite that you don't know where to stop and what, and what to throw away. Uh, so my number one rule with this is what is your initial concept? Does it fit or does it if it doesn't fit, you can just throw it away and use it for later. I think you don't have to put everything in one algorithm. Uh, I went on that road, um, and I think it's just killing us <laughs> to just try to incorporate everything possible thing into one algorithm. Um, you know, iteration is fine on one algorithm. So every time I see like, the output I posted today, I was like, okay, this is a cool output, but doesn't fit the concept, so ciao. And yeah, that's my only reason to not keep something. Does it fit the concept or not? That's great advice. Thank you. That's really wonderful. My, my pleasure. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Grace, thanks for coming up. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Hi, William. So I have a few questions. Uh, how do you balance the intense focus and energy you put into your work with other staff so that you stay interested and do not burn out? Um, I don't fully understand the question. I think there were <laughs> like okay, multiple so questions. <laughs> no, I, the work you do is evidently very intense physically and mentally, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yes. how do you balance it during the day or during periods with doing something else that helps you stay, you know, focused on your work and not burn out? Um, I think I'm almost burnt out, so I don't know if I'm good advice is, but it's mostly, I think it's mostly about taking breaks. Uh, like I was very not good at this before and I tried to be better. But basically the more breaks you take, the more fresh eye you have when you come back to your algorithm. So you take decisions way more sharply. While when you're constantly developing your algorithm, you don't see the outer you know, thing. So it's very hard to take decision like that. And when it's hard to take the decision, just keep working until something magic happens, uh, which never happened. So every time I take a good break um, and come back, everything is clearer and I can progress. This is my number one advice on, on this, like take breaks. It's very important. It's easy to fall into the trap of constantly working on, on something. So now I developed the, um, 
the habit to work on like two or three algorithms at the same time. So depending on the day, if I don't feel it, I will take another algorithm and work on it. And that way also my all my algorithm can talk to each other. Uh, I can find new things into one algorithm and bring it back to the previous algorithm. So yeah, that's that's my way of of dealing with this. And and I don't have a choice because my, my son is here, so I have to be off <laughs> the computer most of the time. Uh, yeah, the, the summer has been tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another question about balance is uh, how you ba do you balance the commercial aspect of your work like having to release work like having a commitment with LACMA in that case in this case and then having the freedom as an artist to release work when you um, want uh, I never accept constraints um If there's like like very rude constraint, I will I won't work with with you know with the person or the institution. Uh, I think you don't you don't you can't constrain the artists. They have to do their thing and to and to share and to talk and to communicate in their own world. And so I think it's very important to to stay true to yourself. Um, I always deliver the best of me whatever the you know the, the event if it's on chain or chain uh whatever whatever the the, the thing if it's like lacma if it's you know the small gallery uh, near my place i will still deliver the same quality so that way i still i'm still proud of myself i don't i don't make you know weird choices Great. My, my last one is, have you ever found yourself deep into a project and say you're well advanced, about to be done and uh, or about to release it and you feel, fuck it, this is not no longer meaningful to me? <laughs> and if you found yourself in that situation, what have you done? How you, do you deal with it? Uh, interesting. Um, usually the, what I share has been a lot of through a lot of processes already, <laughs> a lot of thoughts, and a lot of things I share. I would hate it maybe two, three, four months before. And when I come back on it, I'm like, oh no, that's good enough, so I can share it with the world. But I try to not share as soon as I create. So I give myself a bit, a bit of a buffer to you know, take a step back and to, to just digest what I did and what I want to do, if it fits my perspective, my views, uh, my, my, um, my goal. Uh, so yeah, I try to not to share too quickly, to not be overflowed with feedbacks, with hype, with anything that I won't be proud of months after because the hype passed. So I try to be very thoughtful about that. Um, am, I, am I actually sharing this picture? If yes, it has to be like something I'm proud of. Um, so yeah, I, I have a hard time to share my the, the failings. Um, and there's a lot of failings, but I don't know. I don't 
like to spend too much time on there. So I try to share the best, basically. Thank you. I'm just, just saying, William, you should do a regular post, Failing Friday. Would love to see those. I'm sure they're <laughs> great, too. Maybe. Maybe I was thinking about something like that. Like maybe every month I do like a GIF or video about all the the main output I had this month, something like that. But maybe when I will have more time. Well, um, I just want to chime in as a as a parent as well. It's so it is really hard to find balance and. Uh, I love all these these questions that William's been um, thinking through with us. I also wanted to uh, let everyone know that we'll do another Spaces with LACMA um, on the day of the release next Tuesday. And, um, and, and, and other conversations as well. Um, I'm trying to do a conversation with actually... One interesting thing that I'll just mention as we're as we're closing up is that, uh, as many of you know, LACMA had a, a big exhibition recently about the pioneers of of, of early computer art, and um, Frieder Naka and Vera Molnar, who are two um, great uh, kind of legends in terms of computer art, um, they also did homages to Paul Clay. And we might do a conversation with Frieder Naka, who is in his mid-80s and does not have a smartphone. So I'm trying to figure out <laughs> if we could do some something um, on Zoom or on a on Discord. But um, there's so many so many interesting sort of vantage points to think about William's work, and and one of them is the fact that he is continuing this this legacy and tradition of, of using, um, computers to make art. So, um, anyway, uh, th thank you so much, um, uh, Jared and, and Priyank and Collector's Corner and, um, we'll, uh, really look forward to William sharing all of this with everyone soon. All right. Well, well, thank you, Elsie. Um, thank you for the great questions, everybody. And thank you so much, William, for spending the time. I, I know you, you have your kid. It's late over there. So we really, really appreciate you and appreciate all the thought and, and sharing your art with us. And thank you, everybody, yeah, for my, listening. My pleasure. Oh, sorry. No, my pleasure. That was, that, that was it. <laughs> always a good pleasure <laughs> to talk with, with you guys. Likewise, always. It's always great to talk to you, man. And thank you again, Elsie, for the opportunity and putting this all together and along with Pactoid Labs. And uh, really looking forward to uh, the next thing from LACMA, the next thing from William, and uh, chatting with everybody here again. So thank you. And I think it looks like Amanda um, maybe has a po Amanda, did you create a POAP? That would be so cool. I, oh, right. I did. If, if it's not a trouble, I did create one for based on the conversation with William. So thank you for sharing a piece of yourself, William. It uh, inspired the artwork created for the POAP. So the POAP is a proof of attendance protocol for those who haven't captured their memories yet on the blockchain. And it's a secret word delivery. So if you have the POAP app, uh, you will go to the bottom right corner and hit the plus sign and use secret word to mint this. And the secret word for today for this is all lowercase, 
WM distance, as in William upon distance, uh, WM distance. And I have a recording of who is here. So if you missed this, you can reach out and I can send you a mint link to capture your time spent in this space. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. Cool. All right. Well, then uh, I guess thank you again, everybody. And uh, looking forward to seeing the art. Me too. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Bye bye. Right. Take care. Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you like this episode and want to help us out, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on YouTube. Please also follow us on Twitter for announcements as we expand to other social and content platforms. Our Twitter handle is at collectors underscore XYZ. We'd also love to hear any feedback you have. So please comment or reach out. We're always striving to be more useful and get better so we can help you in your collecting journey. The Collector's Corner team and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.